Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. I'm Amara Jones. Every day, the attacks on trans kids grow louder, and more anti-trans bills keep moving through state legislatures. In this season of the Anti-Trans Hate Machine, we're going to illuminate how the right wing has fueled these bills by generating a breathtaking and wide-ranging disinformation campaign. It's spreading like wildfire on the internet. It's then being discussed by families and churches. None of this is an accident. It's a strategy to delegitimize trans people and create a world where existence is a question. Subscribe to season two of the anti-trans hate machine, A Plot Against Equality, wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hey listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Oteil Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more.
Hey everyone, this is the Helping Friendly Podcast. This is episode 50. Uh, we've made it to 50, Brad. Yes. Um, we'll see if we make it to 51 after this. Um, yeah. We have an awesome guest this week, um, who's Adam, Adam, who is on Twitter at Menzotoliosis. So we're going to talk with Adam in a sec. Um, first, I just want to say that Brad and I decided to do something a little different this week. We're going to actually um, experiment with only recording the um the conversation with adam both the intro conversation and then the set one and set two recap from this amazing show we're going to discuss um and then we're going to point people to fish on demand fish tracks live fish wherever you want to go listen to this show in an effort to kind of make the file size a little smaller um and hopefully make it easier for people to just either listen to the conversation and then go back and and connect with uh the music and then come back and i know a lot of people just listen to the conversation a lot of people just want to show recommendations so hopefully this will this will help with both of those but um adam thanks so much for joining us yeah no problem glad to be here guys thanks for coming to us um from the from the midwest where uh the show that we chose or you chose or we decided upon comes from as well yeah, but, like a year ago, we've been talking about this show. Yeah, yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while, and and surprisingly enough, our queue is pretty long for people to come on. So, um, that this, I think that's where this this came from. Um, and maybe we talked about it even before it came out on Live Fish, but um, there's a little preview, or a little, little guess. Um, anyway, so let's talk a little bit, Adam, about um, you know, your fish history. What what got you into it, and really, if there's a moment or a, a show that really turned you into a fan, um, kind of your it moment. Well, this was it, man. I, uh, I was in high school at the time. I was a junior, and I got into uh, Grateful Dead around 95, right, a little bit before Jerry died. Um, sure. The school that I was in, there was a bunch of older heads that went there, alumni, whatever. That it was kind of the thing to do to wear tie-dyes and be a deadhead. And so I, I got a bunch of tapes from some of the older guys and, was really turned on by it. I was really into heavy metal at the time, which sounds weird. I think a lot of us have kind of been there. Mm-hmm. But um, so I started getting into the dead in 95, 96, and you start hearing about this fish band, but it was mostly dead at the time. And I remember um, I, was, I was eating in a, a Coney Island here, which is pretty famous after, yeah. after bar restaurant, with my buddy, and there was a Metro Times and we were looking through it. It was late at night, and there was an advertisement for fish coming to the palace. And it was that, um, it was that fish destroys America that ad with the the Japanese guy. And I was like, "Holy cow, fish is coming! We need to, we need to check that out." And yeah, those are great. Those are great ads, or you know, artwork. I wish I still had that uh, that advertisement in the in the paper. Um, but m- most of my friends at at, at that school. I actually transferred my sophomore year, and so it was kind of a little hippie scene, but not, not like my other school. Um, so I had to convince some of some of my friends to go to the show. There was two guys and two girls, and I remember, um, like the, the only thing I remember about going to the show was we uh, we piled in one of the girls' vans. Her, it was like her mom's van, and there was there's five of us, and there was probably about six joints going around. And we pulled into the Palace parking lot, and it looked like something out of um, Cheech and Chong or Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And, and <laughs> nice. the, there's police escort. Like you're, you have a, you're at a stoplight, and there's police escorting everybody in. The windows are cracked. There's just smoke and blowing out everywhere. I'm like, we're busted for sure. We're not even going to get into the show. We drove right past them and into the show, and 
into the uh, parking lot, and and it was my. I, I saw some further shows and stuff like that, and so you kind of get into the scene, and um, it just fish. The the fish one just felt a little different. It was cold, um, but everybody was still outside and kind of doing shakedown and stuff like that, and you know, that was that was getting to the show and how I got there. And yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Brad and I both. Well, we we saw our first shows at the Palace um, in '95, yeah. and right. my second show was the Palace '96, and then <laughs> I saw the, this show, the Palace '97. But then some in between '97. So like the majority of my first ten shows were Palace shows. Um, that's that's something right. It's interesting. I was listening, re-listening to the show this today and thinking about the experience in '97. And um, the one thing I was thinking about is that like. I had seen Champagne and then nothing before Cleveland, which was the night before this. And just thinking about like back in the day, we're so used to now getting the shows immediately. Like I think Champagne was the only show of the fall I had heard at that point because I hadn't, you know, like gotten any tapes or anything from the rest of the tour, which made these shows like so much more awesome when you were there because you just you didn't know about the ten shows before and how awesome they were unless you were on some one of the two like internet chat rooms that existed or whatever you know yeah. i just remember being totally completely blown away um i don't know brad about you but that, that was my that's my memory of leading up to this didn't see many shows in 96 maybe just a couple i don't remember exactly but then 97 came around and luckily we started to go a lot more i was we were seniors um so i definitely had a lot in of high school training. yeah yeah seniors <laughs> in high school um we definitely had more free reign to go where we wanted to. Um, so champagne and all those places and champagne was like a weird date. It was kind of off, right? They were coming back from the West yeah. and that was their only stop on the way to Hampton. And yep. then we both really wanted to go to Hampton, but we couldn't make it. And then they were up in the Northeast. Um, so when they came back close, we definitely saw as many as we could and we were really excited. I remember the weather of that Cleveland show was pretty bad. Um, I don't know if it was just cold, um, but I, I saw, we saw them. Or I saw them there in '95 too, and both those shows were really good. So you know, like you said, my first couple of shows were basically either at the Convocation Center or at the Palace, which is pretty sweet, but also pretty big places to to see them. Yeah. One of the things that I remember most about the show was that it was really full. Like the Palace was huge. Yeah. And there were a lot of people there, and um. In '95, it wasn't like that. There weren't as many. Um, I don't think. Not that I, re- I not that I remember. So, um, I thought that was really great. Um, full of people. Full of people we knew. It was kind of a hometown show, and I felt that the energy was there, even in the cold parking lot. Like Adam said, um, it was a lot better than '95. Just the scene. I thought at least at least the people, uh, people's excitement building up to it or whatever. So and Adam, what was your what was your dead like fish crossover experience? Was this like I this mean, was it. I was I was hundred percent deadhead before the show. I I heard a sample in the jar and a live one, a few songs off a of live one. That was it going nice. into the show. And um, yeah, I, I I don't know. That's awesome. And do you uh, were you, were you immediately kind of hooked after the show? So. Yeah, from from the uh, from the opener, Golgi. I never, I don't believe I I heard Golgi going into that. But the the first time they they started singing, I I saw you with the ticket sub in your hand. 
people just went nuts and it just felt right. It felt like home and you see, uh, you see the lights go on and people just going nuts. And I remember getting chills. I mean, it was probably five minutes into the show and it, I didn't, it's just, it, you don't get that, that level of new anymore. Like Gogi, if I saw Gogi again, I'd be like, oh, I gotta go to the bathroom. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. But, but then it was just so perfect and it was, it just, it was good. Well, there's definitely like a, a uniqueness to the set list and the song placement and all that. But um, RJ kind of talked about like the, the crossover, Adam, or you know, asked Adam about his crossover um, between the two, the Dead and and Fish. And let's ask a little bit or talk a little bit about you know that pretty exciting news about the summer coming up. Adam, you also do the Grateful Dead listening party, right, on Twitter, the at GDTLP or something? Yeah, that's correct. Uh- um, well, I did a while for a while, and Chillwig's pretty much taken it over now. He pretty much runs it. He does a good job with it. And, yeah, he's, um, he's, yeah, he's a smart dude, so that's probably a good choice. Not that you're not. Not smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but, so tell us, are you excited about this summer, the July 4th weekend? you going to go? You got any uh, reservations, anything like that? Um, I can't be more excited for it. For me, it's a... Uh, it's a musical menage a trois. It's, it's the Grateful Dead. It's Fish. It's me. It's in Soldier Field. It's, it's perfect. I mean, yeah. There, there's no place I'd rather be for the Fourth of July than than watching that. And people can complain about the pricing or how they're going to bill at the Grateful Dead, but when it comes down to it, Fourth of July night, just sitting there watching Trey play with Phil and Bob. I mean, wh- why wouldn't that excite you? I if you're if you like the Grateful Dead, if you like Fish, if you like both, I, I mean. And the, the music's probably going to be ninety nine percent watered down shit. It's not going to be anything right. new or exciting. It's just they're going to play the old jams. But if there's that one percent chance that I'm in Soldier Field and I I get that chill where the music just hits you, there's I'm, no no price, no money, no no title is going to ruin that for me. I wouldn't. It, it, Better than being on the couch at home complaining about it. <laughs> sense to me why somebody. I don't know. Go. It's pretty fun to do that. So. I haven't heard any of the complaining. What, what's been the complaining? You said ticket prices. Has there been other complaining? So ticket prices I've seen have been like fifty nine dollars to two hundred. That's that's what I saw on the website, and and people yeah. are saying they got to take out a second mortgage for that. I, I I don't know. I don't think it's that expensive. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's not. I think. Um, I. You know, the other complaining I've seen, and I don't know if it's really complaining, but people are saying that, you know, why doesn't Trey just play with Fish instead, you know, and, and let these old guys kind of sail off into the sunset and that sort of thing. But I, you cannot blame Trey for accepting the invitation. Jesus, I mean, this is like... No, Trey, you know. Trey's, Trey's there, man. He, I, don't, I, I mean, I don't understand why somebody would want to separate them or... Say they're they're giving death threats to Trey or things on Facebook where they're the guy with a sniper rifle. I, it's stupid to me. I didn't oh, see that. I didn't see that yeah. either. That's really that's fucked up. It is fucked up. So um, it'll be fun, and I I you can't go in there expecting to see some like forty five minute dark star that's gonna melt your face, but like you, it might happen, and if it doesn't, at least you got to hear dark star and like some other cool cool songs. You you know, I mean. It's a good send-off. Bob's not doing so good, so who knows how much longer he's got. But 95, I mean, not everybody got to say goodbye in 95. There's been a whole other generation of deadheads that have come along, and this is a great opportunity for them to kind of just 
say goodbye and ride off into the sunset. Yeah, that's awesome. And you got to see the dead in the sort of mid- early 90s years? I didn't. I was uh, I was 15 when Jerry died, and I was just getting into them probably a month before that. I, my buddy was talking about it, and we were talking about going to shows that year or later that year, and next thing I knew, I I was still painting at the time. I, I'm a painter now. I own a painting company, and it was 95. I remember pulling into the job and hearing it on the radio and just... It's just a huge oh, bummer. It's got just, it. Okay. Just awful. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. Were, that's we go were ahead about or. the same. No, we were. I think we were fifteen or sixteen, also, and that was like, the, I saw my first fish show that fall. So that was. I think if the dead had been touring in you know summer '96, we definitely would have been able to see them. But it was like, that's it was just you know thing. just didn't work that 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 year. Yeah, we just missed it. Although you know, I think um, our ages and our location we were lucky enough to, to catch acoustic kooka so that was cool too right yeah so many hookahvilles oh did you did you go to that <laughs> yeah were you guys there i don't think so. I, I was there 97 or 90 i, I forget maybe it was there 99 because we man they had uh deep banana blackout and rad dog and um, Arlo Guthrie and <laughs> that's probably the best one I went to. We could have been there because we were in college in Columbus, so it was like it was right there. We so we went a couple times. I just don't remember the years, but I remember dudes walking around and with gigantic like twigs of bud and just that was <laughs> yeah. that's that was yeah. the first time I'd seen that and I was like, Whoa, this place rules. <laughs> it's something. I uh yeah, ninety nine I was there by myself and Oh, no shit. seen the shows and I was I got real fucked up for some reason I tried to get out to my car to find something and I I just passed out in the middle of nowhere <laughs> and I was sleeping there like on the grass and I woke up in the middle of the night and there was a, a drum circle like around me and I woke up and some girl was like kissing me it was just just a really awful ugly looking girl Whoa. too and um, she's and I'm trying to get her off me and all of a sudden like her, her father came and like tried to drag her off me oh my uh, that's, that's the only thing I remember about hookah. <laughs> that's amazing. It's like, it's just in the middle of the drum circle, they just decided to form it around some passed out kid. <laughs> that's amazing. That's good. Good times ahead at in what is that Buckeye Lake or whatever? Is that where it was? Yeah, that was. That's where it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, Adam, what's your um, what was your like the next several years after this? And I guess if people don't know by now, we're, we're we are playing. Um, we're gonna play or refer you to play. I forget. I don't know how to say it now that we're doing trying this different thing. But twelve six ninety seven from the palace, which all three of us were at, which is amazing. But um, after this, after the fall of ninety seven, Adam, how did your fish history evolve from there? Did you stay right on until they took a break, or did you take a break too, or how did that? And when did you kind of come back around in three point Um, yeah, I saw a bunch of shows in one point mostly Midwest shows, Deer Creek, Ohio, Polaris, Toronto, stuff like that. Um, I moved to Florida in 99. I was working at Disney World. Um, I came home for the Palace show in 99. Um, I took a break, and then I went back down to to Disney. And um, saw a bunch in um, 2000. I moved back to Miami this time, on and off between 2001, 2003. So I think I saw my most shows in 2003. Um, but yeah, I've been, I've been there every year. And 
2004 was was really bad. I, I know everybody talks about the music and stuff like that, but the scene felt bad. I, I remember yeah. going to Deer Creek and just camping by myself, and it was just it was just a bad vibe everywhere. And it was it was great that they took a break, and I I felt like they needed to, and I'm sure everybody did. And then I kind of just forgot about Fish for years. I mean, I still listen to them, but it it kind of just grew on me that they were gone. It, it it was just like an emptiness that you felt in me, but you kind of accepted it. And you never really thought they'd come back. And I remember hearing news in 2009, and I think my mom actually told me, she she saw it in the paper, an article saying Fish is going to make a comeback. And this was before I was on Twitter or stuff. I, and I don't really have too many friends around here that are into it. So, I mean, I was thrilled. Yeah. I talked to one buddy, and he said that he was going to Alpine for that, it was 2009, and he asked if I wanted to jump in with him. I was, yeah, hell yeah. And that was probably uh, just 2004 left a really bad taste in my mouth. And 2009 was just, it was it felt like being reborn into the scene. I remember driving and we, we drove through Chicago when we stopped. And we stopped at a rest area between Chicago and Alpine. And there was nice. just a bunch of fish heads everywhere. And everybody was just smiling. And it, it just felt so good again. Those <laughs> weren't anything special. But just the whole, just getting back into it was was what I needed at the time. It was great. I think Alpine Valley is one of those hidden, I mean, I know a lot of people know this, but like, and there's some great dead shows there too, but it's one of those hidden gems in the Midwest that um, some people don't travel that uh, far enough from the East, I don't think, to come to it because it's it's one of those places that I, I feel like everybody should experience, especially a fish show at. It's, it's, it's probably my favorite venue. The, the hill's a, a bitch, that, that, that mm-hmm. slope. But the whole surrounding area, just the whole weekend hanging around in that, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, just it's beautiful yeah. there. Yeah, definitely cool. I, I know this is you. You had said sort of the you know this was your first show. This was your it moment. How does this when you went back and and we'll get into this the song details and everything in a little bit. But what was the kind of overall takeaway from this? And are you still as excited about it as you were then? Um. Yeah, I was blown away. I'm. I'm, I'm still. Are you talking about? Do I feel the same way about the show? Yeah. 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 Every time I play that show, it just brings back memories it's my my first show and makes me happy no doubt about it um, but uh, I, it, i'm glad they released it because yeah. i always have the, the audience recording and the audience recording is good but it, you know what both are are good it's there's some stuff on the uh on the release that you can't hear i, I think the golgi I, I don't think you can get the crowd reaction from it and I don't think that that Golgi would mean anything to anybody else, but it's just right. it was my moment when when the crowd erupted. You can really hear it on the odd, but not the not the soundboard, not the release. So. Yeah, the crowd, like I said, it just was it was really really pumped that night. And I, I don't I don't know why it was. Was it like a was it a Saturday? It was a Saturday, right? Remember what day it was? Yeah, it was because because Dayton was Sunday. So yeah, yeah, it was Friday, a Saturday, Saturday that- Sunday. Yeah. There's a handful of shows that that I really you you feel that energy that this was definitely one of them. I felt a lot of that in '99, some arena shows and 2000 in Allstate. I think it was 2000 in Chicago. Yeah. It seemed like the crowd was really pumped up for and some New Year shows and stuff like that. But this was just a a random day in the suburbs of Detroit. People were just pumped. And I don't know if it's yeah. because they were playing so well and the word spread, but mm-hmm. people. Excited! I remember walking in. There was a half-naked guy in the upper deck with a conch shell blowing into it. 
was, I don't know why I remember that. He's <laughs> losing his mind. Uh, <laughs> it, was just a, it was so loud. Do you guys remember that at all? The guy blown into a shell at the top. It, it was no, so, it was, but that's amazing. Yeah. I had floor seats this show, which I thought um, they were kind of far back, and that's such a big floor. I I kind of wish I was like, you know, first bowl or something because I was so far back from the stage. But I was I, I was right off the lights. floor right on the side by uh, by Fishman. Oh, awesome. nice. Yeah. yeah, I'll never forget the seats. That's one of the things from just listening to this again. I I don't know, Brad, if we were sitting together or maybe for part of it, but I was like right the first section off the floor, right behind the soundboard, so straight on, like probably mm-hmm. ten or fifteen rows up. And I just remember it's probably the first show that I, I was at. The first fish show in like a big place where I was just kind of straight, straight looking at them, you know, looking at the stage, able to see everything perfectly. And it was like, man, I'll never forget it. It was just, it was a very special night. And that that three night run, the Chicago, I mean, sorry, Cleveland, Detroit, Dayton, at least the Detroit, Dayton back to back are definitely the two best shows I've seen back to back, like ever. Um, That whole weekend. I mean, the whole fall, I guess, the whole year was amazing. But that just, man, this this was really fucking awesome. Yeah, that so, that Dayton show was great. That first set. Yeah, it was really reminds me of the uh, of the dead seventy seven Cornell, and then the next night with um, Help Slip Frank, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's just both both bands at the peak of their careers that just put in a two two shows back to back. That it, I, I always compare the two to. I don't know if anybody else does, but huh. it just those compare to me for some reason. It just the, the momentum carries over to the next day, and mm-hmm. that's what that Dayton show feels like. It's just locked in, yeah. so fired up after that Palo show, and yeah. it just transcended into the next night. Yeah, and I I think RJ made a good point that there's there wasn't the automatic releases of the shows back then, so there wasn't talk on like on Twitter about you know the funk that they were they were bringing or. You know, the fact that there was an Isabella and those things. I mean, I guess you could get those on, like, a deals page or whatever. But back then, you were going just because it was fish. You, you weren't too sure what you were going to catch unless you were reading, you know, good deals page a bunch and reading all the comments and stuff like that. Um, so that that in itself kind of lends into, like, the just go because you're going. Nowadays, people are going with expectations so much. It's It's kind of like... It's kind of nostalgic to go back and think about, like, oh, let's just go up to the palace and get tickets via mail and, um, you know, meet some friends and just go because it's fish and not not have any expectations, which just can't be done anymore, I guess. Yeah. And right? Yeah, totally. And, I, Adam, I was going to ask, I guess, before we before we talk about the, this show, what do you think about the last couple of years, about, you know, 2012, 13, 14? What do you expect this year? Um... I don't know what I expect this year. I don't know. I don't know what the band's up to. I don't know how much practice Trey's putting in with with the dead thing and what their tour schedule is going to look like. I I think it's going to be probably a few few less shows than in the past, which kind of sucks because it's not like they're touring like crazy anymore. Um, but I think it's going to be good music. I think it, I think Trey's really going to benefit from from this collaboration, and hopefully, it finds its way into to fish this summer and hopefully they get some fall shows and but the past few years have been great i i have no complaints um it's always good to get new music out of them and it may be rough at first um the wingsuit i really love the halloween show and seems like they just pushed it 
that summer, the following summer. But it's grown on me. It's it's new fish, and I I love it. And mm-hmm. puts a new spark into the band, and just they got to find their way to to incorporate it all together. And I I think it's been great the last couple of years. Nice. So is that is that the consensus that there's not going to be much of a summer tour or a short one? Like. Yeah. I don't know. I I, I'm a, I haven't heard anything. What what have you guys heard? You hear about Watkins Glen and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I don't know what truth there is to any rumors. And I don't know. I don't believe anything. So <laughs> yeah, I guess I forgot about maybe Watkins Glen just like a just a festival kind of thing, and then that's it for the summer. Maybe that's yeah. I hear the festival there, but I, who knows what? Yeah. yeah. It seems like they would do something in addition, maybe even like a short run in this, you know, spec and going up that way, maybe, or maybe, maybe in Midwest. A lot of people have been talking about a Deer Creek Alpine possibility, like post, post Chicago, um, which would be cool. I mean, it makes sense logistically. I don't know. Yeah, and piggyback the Chicago show. We need to get back to Deer Creek. It's, it feels like it's been forever. Yeah, yeah, seriously. I haven't been there since 97, um, which I'd love to go back. It's not even Deer Creek anymore, right? It's like Verizon Wireless at the Toyota Amphitheater or something. I think it's something else since then. It's like uh, Klepsch or something. Yeah, it's like Klepsch. That's that's right. Uh, Good times. It'll always be Deer Creek, though, ever since the gig crashing. Um, (laughs) So so let's let's talk about the music. So just for the listeners, we're going to, as I said, try this experiment. As with all experiments, it may work, it may not work. But um, at this point... um, Check on the uh, display where whatever you're listening to the podcast on, you'll see links to um, this show at Live Fish, Fish Tracks, and Fish on Demand. So um, check it out and send us a, an email at helpingfriendlypodcast at gmail.com or send us a tweet at HFPod. Let us know what you think about this um, setup and, um, and um, we will adjust accordingly because we're a research based operation and we, we, we need your feedback. Yeah, and I think this is a good show to start with, RJ, because it's a live fish release. I wasn't a huge fan of doing a live fish release, but this is a good thing to do. Go listen to the first set and then come back and pick it up. All right, awesome. So I um, hope you en- enjoyed set one from 12697, The Palace in Auburn Hills. Uh, they opened with Gogi, as we talked about, and we heard Antelope. Train Song was next, Into Bathtub Gin, which flowed pretty nicely into foam. And then we heard Sample in a Jar, Fee into Maze, and Cavern closed out the first set. Um... We talked a little bit about the opener, but just a really great opener. But then, uh, you know, here comes Antelope in slot two. What a great opening to a really awesome show. One thing that I I forgot to mention before is I totally remember uh, them playing Miles Davis. um, They played uh, Bitches Brew pre-show. Oh, nice. Pre-show. And I was like, this is crazy because it's not normal pre-show music. It's kind of, you know, obviously Bitches Brew is, is what it is. So... Um, I, I can't say I really expected anything different or funky from because of that pre-show music. I just remember noticing it. Like, oh, that was cool. So, um, pretty different opening to the to the to a set one. Um, I'd obviously never heard Antelope in the second slot before. That Antelope is great. Yeah, great, great, great peak. I mean, it rages. They really cycle through the thing, don't you think? RJ? Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like sixteen minutes long or something like that. It's crazy and. Um you said Adam they open it up nicely with Golgi and then the the I don't know I the, the most memorable point to me was that bathtub where the the it's like generally just a rocking rocking yeah. bathtub and then they kind of slow it down and it's like almost stops and then they get into that little groove that goes like slides right into 
mm-hmm. from I don't know Adam if that was if that was like surprising for you at the time but I remember being super like just freaked it's, out by that transition it's one of the highlights I remember from the show and I I don't I never heard foam going into it and I it, it felt familiar it felt like something that a jam band would sing and it, it, Years later, I mean, I grew to hate foam for some reason for for a long, long time. And then it wasn't until I got into Twitter and I became friends with uh, Barefoot Bob, who's no longer with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, he came up with a stat for foam. He he loved it. He he came up with something like ninety some percent of shows that have a foam in it have like an over four point three rating, and it it really shows that the. Because it's a good warm-up for the band. I think the technical skill that it takes to, to nail that, that song really lets the band loosen up after it. And I don't know. It, the song is growing on me. Mm-hmm. A lot of people hate it. I know Ailey Dice just despises it. <laughs> <laughs> I really like it. I, it's, um, I remember that night was just like, it was just tripping me out. It was freaking me out. I thought it was amazing. I love Bathtub going in. I thought, like, Super excited to hear Bathtub. I was surprised to hear it just, you know, one song or two songs after Antelope. And then they went to that phone and it's, it's something, something isn't right. You know what I mean? I was just kind of, kind of losing it, having a great time. Um, so, Adam, the long, your, your thoughts on phone was kind of like RJ's and I theory about riff that, like, it's a technical song and if they play it well, then they're probably on. And, yeah. you know, it's good things to come forward. So, yeah. there's another song to add to our little dumb theorem. <laughs> hey, sure. so. That's all we. That's all we got is our, our our theories that we can never prove or disprove, which is awesome. So, um, so have they nailed ref? It's it's kind of the same thing. Have they ever nailed yeah. ref? <laughs> it happened. Oh, it happened they like ever three once, times. That's why all the shows suck. <laughs> it happened three times. Um, the um, it's not the album. Yeah, but it's it's funny because foam. I heard the one foam that I heard that I was just absolutely like blown away by was Greensboro '03. And I don't know. I don't know why. It might have just been like the you know, the the vibe or whatever. It was no nothing out of the ordinary. But that was like the live one I heard, and I was like, oh man, this this song is great. And now I like it every time. But I know that it's like it's kind of a polarizing song, which is just it's funny. It's like it seems rather like innocuous to me. I don't know. It doesn't seem like super yeah. offensive, but it's also like not. There's like a little bit of technical detail that they need. You know, it's not like going to take a piss during sparkle or something you know yep but um but yeah it was like the bathtub into foam was just i remember it like very vividly and you know one of the great that, things about these shows that bathtub isn't isn't marat or or a river port but it's a good it's a good gin it's it's worth a listen every once in a while the whole first set i mean it's got a lot of highlights a lot of people forget about the first set because they go straight to straight to the second but there's there's some some songs to definitely hit up in that first set. Some a lot of highlights. Yeah, Brad. What else was? What else stuck out for you in the first set? Um, I thought the fee was great. I'd never seen a fee before. I don't think. Um, and my sister, who I got Junta from or took from or whatever, was a big fan of fee. Um, so I, I was excited to hear that, and I was um, excited to share with my sister. The maze was great. Um, because it's kind of an arena song, you know what I mean? It's uh, the slow build and, um, you know, 10 minutes in or whatever, it's it's raging by then. Um, but otherwise, you know, that's Sample and Cavern are two songs that 
I won't complain about, but I'm also not chasing. <laughs> right. The maze was pretty pretty good. I mean, this you know pretty good as in like very good, I think. But you know these <laughs> these um these shows just and I'm just thinking like Cleveland, Detroit, Dayton. They just you know everything was so technically technically well played, and I don't know that it's not that often that you get just like the the quality of shows so many times in a row and i guess that's the almost the entire fall 97 but the maze sticks out here for that reason for me got that cow funk in it too that yeah they just couldn't get away from it no matter what you know like it was like in maze in 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 really hard rocking songs which we'll talk about in the second set i mean just unbelievable there's, there's parts of that maze where i never thought i would ever hear anything like that musically in a live show like some of that some of it some of the noises Trey was making, they call it the cow funk or what? Not the, I don't know what. It's, I think it's in the intro. I'm uh-huh. going to go back and listen to it. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. And it's it's just prevalent in in fall '97, and it's what makes it so great in my mind. And yeah, it's definitely worth a re-listen. There's yeah. no doubt. And the second set is phenomenal. So we're gonna yeah. we're gonna take a quick quick break and then um, pick it back up and talk about the second set in a minute. All right. So that was set two in the encore from. Um, 12-6-97, December 6th at the Palace. The set opened with Tweezer, went into Isabella, that went into Twist, into Piper. Then they played Sleeping Monkey and closed the second set out with Tweezer Reprise, and the encore was Rocky Top. Um, I mean, this is a show for the ages, right? This And it's because of the second set. Probably the, one of the reasons they released it on Live Fish. Um, but that Tweezer... Uh, it's kind of funny to note that earlier earlier fall ninety sevens they were open in first sets with tweezers right eleven seventeen I think there's one from like Worcester or something later that month they opened with tweezer um, and here they opened the second set with tweezer and it's it's just a phenomenal tweezer what twenty three minutes long um, kind of a funky different beginning and it it drops immediately after the composed part immediately into that funk, that cow funk we all love. What did you guys think? Blew my mind. That's, 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 um, that was the jam for the ages, man. That I don't think I'll ever see anything like that again. That was just probably yeah. the best tweezer. Uh, yeah. Book. I mean, it's almost like there's almost not really words for it. You know, it's just like, there's, there's so much going on, but then at the same time, it's like, I don't even know what to say. Um, the the it's funny i actually like connected it today when i was listening to it the going into that um typical sort of 97 funk section then it gets into that like bliss bliss jam which is pretty similar to the denver tweezer um you know the couple weeks it's before right right um and that, that combo of just like the funk into like that bliss and then i mean it keeps going from there but yeah it was um I remember the like when they got into the bliss part out of the funk part. I just remember the place being like, I mean, people were just yeah, minds minds were being blown like for sure because like I think a lot of people hadn't heard the Denver show yet, you know. So this was all like fairly new. It took like I don't know. I feel like it took two or two to four weeks to get a tape, and this was like three weeks after Denver. So I'm not sure we had Denver tapes yet, but I'm, I just remember the place being like totally blown away, and that's before. That's you know just in the middle of like the tweezer jam. From just being a deadhead, their jams kind of just went off into space, and they would always like go their separate ways and find their way back in, in the same spot. And what I remember 
coming away from with this show was just the stylistic changes in in Fish's jam, like going from that funk to that to that bliss to that ambiance to another jam, just the transitions in and out. Just I mean that that caught me. That was that was a thing. I, it, it almost took me away from the dead at certain times in my life. Like the dead, their jamming just kind of has no. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, they're kind of. It's kind of just like uh, more of the ambient. Like uh, I know what you're trying to get at, but um, Fish has so many different styles, and you get all of that. Well, not all of it, but you get a bunch of them here in this tweezer, right? That the just, funk just that, the way they go in and out of the 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 changes. Just it's it's beautiful. I mean. Mm-hmm. The Grateful Dead are rough around the edges sometimes, and I love that. And it's just less a, polished, maybe. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Awesome. But there's smooth too. Jerry was great at transitions himself. It's just there was just a difference there, and it really caught my eye within this tweezer. You can especially hear it there. Yeah. The um, we uh, I was just looking before this shit before that we got on the phone um at the review from our friend Wally Waxbanks um, on, on fish.net, which he did like five or six years ago at this point. But he said, um, and he, I love his, his fish um, analysis is just so unique and interesting. And he said, like, it's the intense focus that, that does it for him. There's no dead spots, no throwaway moments, just like continuous shared creation, which is kind of an, I mean, it's totally true. There's, it just, it keeps going, you know? Um, I, it's it's insane and then going straight into straight into Isabella without any um without any break any stop any warning really just like just fluid. Just, just fluid right into it yeah it's fucking amazing I don't think I realized how how special this show was and in, in fish lore until I started getting onto fishnet and reading wax banks's review of, of this show I, I I think I went back to look at at this and reading his review and it was like Man, this guy writes down everything that's in my mind. Oh, <laughs> man, he's then, really good. Yeah, just getting really into Fall '90s. All his reviews of all those shows are just are fantastic. I love that guy's reviews. Yeah, he's so good, and he has he's working on a book now about about a live one, um, which is going to be pretty interesting. His his writing is just it's there's nothing like it um, in in terms of music, you know, like just music criticism. I don't know. Um, yep. what was the, um, what do you remember about that, that segue into, into Isabella, Adam? I remember thinking, I, I know this song, is this a fish song and Hendrix cover? And that's kind of all I remember about it at the time. Just, <laughs> and now I just, I want one, another one so bad. <laughs> yeah. I haven't played it forever since 98. Right. Um, so it's uh, yeah. It was one of those things that you didn't realize you're getting such a treat when you were listening, right? Because yeah. that, especially coming out of that tweezer, you're just like, oh, kind of like knocked back a little bit, a little bit on my heels. And then this is like the knockout punch almost. The Isabella is just amazing, amazing. And it really wasn't long if you go back and listen to it. It wasn't like a continued jam because it came out of the tweezer so effortlessly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it kind uh, of went back into the tweezer jam a little bit. A few minutes and then they jammed out of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and there's like a dan- you know dance party segment of of right. Isabella, which is you know the, I don't know the the whole um, the whole three nights from Cleveland, Detroit, and then Dayton. It was just every night was like mostly a dance party, you know. And that's like it reminded me today when I was listening back to like 
Trey and Bittersweet Motel about it's all about the energy, you know, like who cares? About <laughs> Although this in this show they hit the changes too, but they're just they're just feeling it, man. It's just a what a special um, few months, you know. And and like you said, Adam, there's those times at the Deadhead too, where they just hit these months of um, of space where it just it all made sense for on an ongoing basis, you know. It's just yeah, it, it's so it's so rare. But um, I don't know, man. The Isabella is is yeah, they just given that groove and just. Yeah, I, I mean, it's so hard to it's so hard to um, explain. The the one thing about Isabella, I guess, I, I just looked before this. So they they've only played Isabella ten times, which is like somewhat surprising to me. But we um, saw this one, so that was what it was. I guess it was the sixth one that they played out of the ten. And then Brad, you and I saw the last one they played, which was Polaris '98. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember at that show we were on the lawn. I remember looking up at the screen that was like above the lawn during Isabella and watching Trey's fingers and just being like I couldn't understand how he was playing <laughs> how he was like jamming so so, many notes. so yeah like just playing so many notes um, <laughs> but it's ten, like think about Isabella in the fish lore like everyone knows you know this show obviously but everyone knows that they play Isabella and they've only played it ten times it's just it's sort of uh, in in um, you know not, like it was it last year? Yeah, yeah, they did tease it at, um, at Jones Beach in 2012. Um, 2012 already? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Time flies. I just yeah. I only know that because the Fish.net um, sand or I mean uh, Isabella history has it has it the tease. That's the one that they have. Um, nice. But I feel like I've seen other people tweet about hearing. Maybe everyone just like hears an Isabella tease every once in a while. You know. Uh, Dave's like, energy guide of teases. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like Sasquatch a little bit. Everybody wants to see it for sure. <laughs> right. Um, and then so so after that, like it's it's crazy when like they go into Twist and then like Twist actually felt like a cool down song, which is like you know it's you know that something's going on if if Twist feels like it's like the song <laughs> to like take the take the edge off for a minute and like relax. Well, to start, it does, right? I mean, it kind of—it's that nice build. That yeah. uh, the reason I love the song really is it, that nice build from the the slow from, intro. Yeah, from the intro. Um, and this is back in the day when it was like Twist Piper, and it was a combo almost. Like you get one, you get the other. Um, you don't get it as much now. I guess sort of recently it's been that way, but I don't know when. It's maybe late 90, 90s, like ninety-nine or something. They started to play them. Um, by themselves. I don't know if I'm making shit up right now, but um, it just seems to me back then, you know, coming out of the story of the ghost, they'd play them together exclusively. Maybe not. There's some homework. <laughs> yeah, what was your take on that On that, that one, Adam? I, I, Twist is great. I'm, it, it's all about the piper, man, the piper that fouled. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was sort of just a, a shorter interlude actually, going into that Piper, which is, again, just like yeah, it just works. Um, and they, they kind of like, same thing with the tweezer. They just, it seems like it could, it could stop or it could fizzle out or whatever, and then they just keep it, keep picking it back up. You um, kind of, I kind of kept feeling like they were coming back into tweezer, but it just, it just never came. Yeah, and they, I mean, it's so interesting, like. 
we could debate forever like why why they um why Trey at this you know at this in this day and age would go into number line you know uh, at halfway through the piper or or why he would you know go in the bug like halfway through that tweezer or whatever and there's no way to tell but it's just it is it does make me think whether it's like a lack of um feeling like it's a a, a good idea going you know and he just kind of gets gets bored um I don't know if you guys there's have thoughts. Never, it, there's never an opportune time to play backwards on them. Every time he does it, it's a momentum killer. Right? <laughs> it yeah. does feel like that for sure. And then, like once the song gets going, it's okay to me. I like. I, I don't mind the song, but it's. Yeah, I, I think agree. it's because of the intro. You know, it just. It's like a <laughs> jarring. It's a jarring little like. You just kind of like. It's, it's kind of just not ripcorded, but it's just never feels like it's feels right to just go into it but yeah and it's just there's just no smooth way to go into that intro yeah i mean he played it on tiny desk the tiny desk concert intro series mm-hmm. thing the, the number line <laughs> and everybody even there was like oh god not number line <laughs> <laughs> it really isn't that bad of a song it's yeah, just no. it, when it when it comes on it's like fuck man yeah yeah right now yeah, the um, it's funny. I was actually I was talking to Brian Brinkman, who's at Suffering Juke. I don't know if you, I mean, I know Brian. I know you know him. I don't know if you do, Adam, but he, he's a great um fan and does a lot of writing about fish. And we were talking about this same thing last night, the ripcording, and he his we were sort of talking about the fact that Trey like is, is impatient, but only because of the fact that he's like constantly trying to pursue you know something new something interesting something novel and i think when he feels like it's not gonna happen he just takes a right turn you know if a new idea pops into his head i think that's kind of interesting if that plays to like where the band is now versus then or if if the music itself it if they've like kind of done it all or something i don't know it's it's really interesting to think about that mm-hmm maybe it could have something to do with just the volume of material they have i mean they had it back in 97 but um, you know, maybe just because there's so there's so many songs and and they're all they've taken that like let's play our own stuff almost exclusively, you know, um, that he just wants to get in as many songs as he can. I don't know. I mean, there's no there's not really any five song second sets anymore. Not that that's a bad thing or a good thing, but yeah. What do you think, Adam? Are you, do you do you notice that? I mean, is this something that you're like that that you think about at shows or or when you're listening to shows? Yeah, I think it's a. Uh combination of him just wanting to go on to the next song and he's excited about playing something new and sometimes it's just the the jam that he's in or the the song that he's in is just run its course and he he knows it he's got nothing left to provide for that and he just goes on to the next and sometimes it's not, not always what we agree on but i mean he's he's got to explore and he's got to try new things out and i it's good for the band i mean good for him to be happy and do what he wants to do so i can i can live with a few second set crap songs if, as long as it makes him happy and extends the life of their career <laughs> right right exactly i mean that's it's another thing i was talking with brian about last night like i don't know you you're if you're trying to i don't know if you if you hold these guys in some sort of like regard as superheroes then it's you're probably going to set yourself up for disappointment if you go and realize that what they're going to they're going to do what they're going to do and if you like it you like it and if you don't you don't but yeah. it's it's a concert and it's a band it's it's not a um they're not you know they're not superheroes from another planet they're just really like really really good musicians who are going to mm-hmm. do what they want they're going to play 
Mike songs. They're going to play Paige songs. They're going to play, you know, they're going to play Let Me Lie once in a while, and they're going to play, like, you know, whatever they want. So you can either, like, go and like it, or you can just go and be pissed off. I don't know. I it think, seems simple. I think a lot of fans live in the era that they fell in love with the band. So, like, 97, if, if it was ours, we we expect, like, five songs, second sets, where they just improv the whole show and just all fluid and together and we expect the to be like that forever but if it was like that forever it'd be the same show all the time and it just they got to change it up and bring new fans along and yeah they wouldn't be evolving they wouldn't be changing which is the whole another reason everybody loves them too is that they they don't do the same things over yeah. and over again, so. if it was the same thing over and over again i mean yeah it's a yeah. good point well and adam you i mean brad and i both you know we've i, I think Brad and I probably our our favorite band is probably is probably the Grateful Dead. Like if I had to choose and and say this is a band I would take for the rest of my life, it's really close between the Dead and Fish. So I, we're we're both huge Dead fans. But what's yep. your does this same thing happen within within Dead fan circles in terms of the you know as they evolved and as they went to different years? Do you think these same kind of conversations were happening within the fan base? I think so. I I think it's more in our faces now with social media and everybody. I mean, you can get the, a show the next day and you can talk about it with thousands of people on, on your Twitter, and you can you can play Monday morning quarterback all you want. It's just I think the dead are kind of the same way, but it just wasn't out in the open. I mean, it, there was no social media back then, and mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at at, at dead errors like. Um, the 70s, the 80s, and stuff like that. There's so many repeats in, in their songs. Like, just they they can play a three night run, and they'll have ten songs that they play twice in, in that thing. We we can't do that any. Like, if Fish played Cavern twice in a three night run, people would go crazy. It's just <laughs> just times, and you just you just pick at them all you want. There's just so much, so many comments. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that's you know the, the maybe the fans who are sticking around from the from the old days like us you know are that is probably the more prevalent um, opinion you know but I know that there are people who there are definitely people who are living still in 1995 or 97 or 99 in terms of fish and that's just that's going to be how they evaluate everything forever you know and that's just... and it's okay I, I I don't mind mind that I mean. It was a good error, and people love it, and it's just a different time, and it's it's just where the band is now, and yeah, got to live with it. You can't it doesn't help to complain about it, or <laughs> yeah, it def- definitely doesn't. I don't know. I, it's kind of like a relationship. Like you're, you know, you we're all like, everyone is different when you know as you evolve. Like my relationship with my wife is different now than it was five years ago. You know, in in lots of like great ways, but it's just, it's always going to be different. Right. So expecting them to be different than the way that humans like evolve is just, it's unrealistic, but sorry, that was, that was a little bit tangent. I think it was Adam Nicholas or somebody wrote on Twitter once. um, I'm not the same person I was in 95. Why do I expect fish to be? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. That's a much better way to say it. That tweet was probably five years ago and it stuck with me. (laughs) <laughs> nice it's totally true <clears throat> and so this show they did the sleeping monkey and then into the of course into tweezer reprise and then the the rocky top encore um i don't remember brad what happened after the show i assume we drove back to to toledo but i know that um 
I wasn't I wasn't necessarily gonna go to the next night in Dayton, but then I did. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, we had exams that that week. That was like the week of exam. Wait. Yeah. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? It was yeah. a week of exam. I drove back from Dayton. I think mm-hmm. I left Dayton at two one or two AM and got took back to Columbus at two or three or whatever. And then mm-hmm. we I had my first exam on Monday morning. It was intro the in, an intro class. A first college exam ever. And I was like, This is this is either gonna be good <laughs> or really bad. <laughs> I mean, it was a, there was a article in the paper the next day after the show and I tried to find it online but I it's not I don't know if they took it off or it's not there, but it was like labeled jump, jumping Jack Flash. Somebody jumped off the balcony there. I think they died at the show, actually. Really? So, yeah. Yeah, I remember hearing something about that. Wow, I had no idea. And I, I tried to, I tried to look back, and there's just nothing on the internet about it. Oh, and my wife was at the show, and she um, talks about that. She's like, "Yeah, some kid, like, I don't know if he died or whatever." She's like, "But I, I just, it wasn't a good show for me." I'm like, "You're, you're one of a few people who can say that because most people love it, you know." Yeah. Wow. That's that's fucking crazy. I had no idea. Um, well, Adam, thanks for um, for you know engaging with us in this conversation. Like you said, we've been talking about it on online for like a year, going back and forth. Um, so thanks for for finally coming on and sharing it with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great. Yeah, thanks for coming. We appreciate you taking the time. Um, and this is obviously a great show to to revisit. So hope everyone else enjoys as much as we did. For sure. Thanks so much, yeah, guys. Absolutely. Cool. Take it easy. Awesome. Thanks for everybody for um, listening this week again. Let us know, um, or this episode, let us know what you think about the new format. Thanks to Adam. 12697 is obviously a, a feather in our hat, all of our hats. So um, check us out at HFPod on Twitter. Email us at helpingfriendlypodcast at gmail with your comments. Um, as always, check out Cash or Trade as the summer gets nearer. Er. Um, for your for your shows, I guess the winter shows are still going on back east, but not out here. So, yeah, um, check out cashertrade.org. Um, and as always, thanks for listening. And it was a it was a fun time, Arch. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, agree. And if ever if you don't like the setup, you can blame me. Um, if you do <laughs> like it, it was Brad's idea. So, oh. um, <laughs> but yeah, we'll be back in a couple weeks. We're gonna have another good guest, and we're gonna talk about another fish concert. So. Everybody, take it easy and hope you don't get snowed in. Um, in. Or hope you do get snowed in, I guess. You're not going to get snowed in, Brad, in Phoenix. Oh, it's um, there's a couple clouds in the sky, though. <laughs> you better watch out. You better go. Oh. You might want to go stock up on duct tape. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Keep on rocking. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. I'm Amara Jones. Every day, the attacks on trans kids grow louder, and more anti-trans bills keep moving through state legislatures. In this season of the Anti-Trans Hate Machine, we're going to illuminate how the right wing has fueled these bills by generating a breathtaking and wide-ranging disinformation campaign. It's spreading like wildfire on the internet. It's then being discussed by families and churches. None of this is an accident. It's a strategy to delegitimize trans people and create a world where our existence is a question. Subscribe to season two of the Anti-Trans Hate Machine, a plot against equality, wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there.